And then the second hour, we'll talk about somatic symptom disorders, and that will be your psychopathology for the week. To review what we talked about yesterday, we spent a good session on major depressive disorder. So let's see if you can identify whether this person is depressed or not. Okay, this is why I wanted to start with this question. How many, now, if I start with, does this person have five of nine symptoms? If you count, they might have five, but they're not five of the nine symptoms. <laughs> you can't just have five of any symptoms. So depressed mood and tear, does tearfulness get you another symptom? No, that's not a symptom, it's just part of being sad. So what you have is depressed mood, Disinterest and, and loss of libido are pretty much part of the same problem. So lack of interest, lack of desire uh, also extends to sexual uh, interest. So you have depressed mood, anhedonia, energy problems. You got three symptoms on for a month. We don't really have, this isn't provisional. You're not certain he's going to ultimately develop two more symptoms. So it's not provisional. So, and it's not MDD, so you've got unspecified at this point is the best way to characterize them. So just a reminder, you need to have five of the, at least five of the nine. One of the symptoms has to be what? Depression or anhedonia, right? And it has to go on for two weeks or more. So just a reminder of the critical elements of an, a major depressive episode. Now, moving on to the next depressive disorder diagnosis. Let's say, for example, that you are in a depressive episode. And we said that you only have to be in a depressive episode for two weeks before you qualify for, for having actually been in an official episode. What if you dip down into a depressive episode and you persist and you persist and you persist? And yet we said they often last six months, seven months, eight months, even a year. Not come, but what if you still don't come out of it? What if you stay in your depressive episode for over a year? 15 months, 18 months, and you're now at two years, and you haven't come up for air. You have not come up to euthymia. That is a persistent depressive episode. And when we think about MDD, we think it's more episodic. You dip down, you come up. You dip down, you come up. In PDD, it's more you are stuck for at least two years in a sad state. So as soon as you are in a depressive episode and you don't come out of it for over two years, we're not going to call you MDD. We want to actually capture that you don't really have much of an episodic form. You've got more of the persistent, long-lasting version. So PDD, 
is given to those people who have depressive episodes that really last a long, long time, and that is two years or more. So that's one way to get PDD. Another way to get persistent depressive disorder is let's say that you dip down into a low mood, but you don't have enough symptoms to be actually in a depressive episode, but you have depressed mood plus some other symptoms. And you stay in that, what we say, dysthymic state for two years without coming up to euthymia. Well, we still want to capture that you have low mood for two years. It might not be a depressive episode, but it's still dysthymic. So we would give you PDD as well for someone who has at least depressed mood plus some additional sad type of symptoms. The third variant of this is what if you have a blend of the two? What if you dip down into a depressive episode and that lasts 15 months? That's not PDD. But what if when my mood gets a little bit better, I'm dysthymic? I actually don't go back to normal baseline. I just get out of a depressive episode and go to dysthymic. And now I'm at the two-year mark. And the whole two years, I've either been in a depressive episode or dysthymic. That's still a long time of being sad. That gives you PDD. So PDD is just saying long period of time, at least two years or more, you have depressed mood in some, to some extent. And this gives you your three different subtypes. You have the type of person who you say, if you're PDD and the whole, or for the whole time you're in a depressive episode, we would say you're PDD with a persistent depressive episode. If you're the type that you are sad and your mood's depressed, but you're not in an episode of depression. You're just dysthymic for the whole time. You're dysthymic. And then the intermittent one is the last version I described, where you might have some of your depressed period being actually formally in a depressive episode, and then some of your time just dysthymic. So these are descriptions to describe what you're like when you are depressed. So this is the graphic form. This is, again, emphasizing that the, that the subtypes are used to describe the two-year interval. Okay. Not whether you come out of it or not. If you're going to subtype them, you look at what they're like when they're depressed, and you say, are they always in an MDE? Sometimes in an MDE or just in the thymic state. And those will give you your various subtypes. So for example, and this is where people, the subtypes get maybe confused. Let's say that here's someone who was in a depressive episode for two years, and then they did come back to euthymia for a period of time. Chances are they'll go back down into a depressive episode for a long time. But they are in it for two years, they come back to normal mood. What do we call this person? Okay. Well, overall, it'd be immune remission, but what would their diagnosis be? PDD and which subtype? Okay. Now, what confuses some people is they think this means intermittent because they say, oh, look, they come out of it. Therefore, it's intermittent. That's not how you use the word intermittent. Intermittent is saying, if you are intermittent, it would say that you are depressed some of the time and dysthymic some of the time. Because intermittent's 
is only referring to when you're depressed, do you fluctuate. Not whether you ever become euthymic or not. All these variants, you can become euthymic. So the subtypes are really meant to capture the period of time in which you're depressed. If this, this is persistent MDE, even though you come back to euthymic mood. How would I make this with pure dysthymia? I would have to say this person dips down to dysthymic and stays dysthymic the whole time, then comes up. The only way I could make this intermittent would be to say that in the depressed period, they have periods in which they're formally depressed, they get a little bit better, but not back to euthymia, and they might come back down, and that would be intermittent, but it's describing the period of time in which they are low mood. So again, describing that two-year period. How do we treat someone? This is just a, a variant of MDD, which we talked about a lot yesterday. How do we treat it? Well, it makes sense that if you are dysthymic, you have some sad symptoms, but not an MDE, you could still use some of the more non-invasive techniques like cognitive behavioral psychotherapy. You could probably use antidepressants pretty safely with someone who is chronically low mood, even though they're not depressed, they're not formally in a depressive episode. But you could use those more non-invasive types. The PDDs in which you have major depressive episodes, whether it's intermittent MDEs or the chronic MDEs, that all your treatments are viable, even the more invasive TMS, vagus nerve, ECT. So nothing really different as far as the way you treat it. The PDD is really trying to emphasize the longevity of the depression, de-emphasizing the episodic nature of it. The third of the depressive disorders, PMDD, premenstrual dysphoric disorder. This is new to DSM-5. It was studied. It was under the chapter that said you know, conditions for further study, and they studied it and it's now prime time. This is a mood disorder that responds a little bit differently compared to our other depression because it, the moodiness that you have isn't every day of every month. It's only 10 days, 14 days of every month. And half the month you're great, and half the month you're not great. And the moodiness is, is notable enough that it's compromising your functioning. Your relationships are probably being jeopardized and your work, you're probably calling in sick because you're feeling so overwhelmed and so tearful and so emotional that you just can't handle being at your job. So you're risking losing your employment and important relationships. So you've got to have notable symptoms. Now, does this differ, than, differ from PMS? premenstrual syndrome. I think many women experience PMS. They get a little bit more irritable and they're a little physically uncomfortable and they are a little grouchier, but it doesn't reach the significance level that this would. This is considered a true mood disorder and one that can significantly compromise your life. So the typical scenario is that about two weeks or a week before you menstruate, you are really difficult to be around because you are so sensitive and, and emotional and tearful and irritable. And then the second you start menstruating, 
feeling better, and then that during that week, you're back to normal. It's a very short-lived, relatively speaking, mood problem. Now, a lot of people want to explain their wretchedness based on, oh, I've just got this, it's not my fault. Can you validate that you actually have this cyclical nature to your moodiness? And there are scales that are officially used. That they want women to complete every single month just to make sure that this is not just once in a while you experience, but it's reliable each month. There's this pattern in which you're feeling overwhelmed and tearful and have physical symptoms and so forth. And when this has been documented reliably for X number of months, then a physician, someone can give you the diagnosis and, and go from there. So we don't just trust people's words or their, their history that says, yeah, I just get really moody just around my, my menstrual cycle. Now the interesting aspect of treatment is that unlike MDD or even PDD, if we were to give them an antidepressant, you would want them on it every day for every month and even indefinitely. In this case, you can get away with taking it only for the two weeks prior to menstruation because that's the only time that you've got your mood problems. And so you're on it two weeks, off two weeks, on two weeks, off two weeks. Now you could choose to still stay on it continuously, but there is an option to see if it works, whether you can do it just two weeks of every month. So obviously this, there's some hormonal triggers to whatever monoamine crisis that you're having during those two weeks. And when the hormones stabilize, then your monoamines are equilibrated again. Yes. Uh -huh. As I was trying to explain, this is a, a different disorder. So it's re because it does respond differently, it is different than MDD. For MDD, it does take weeks, if not several months, for the effects to be seen. In this case, it's a distinct disorder, and it responds differently to the antidepressant. So it's good news for people that have this more time-limited each month problem because they can respond quickly or more quickly to the meds. Yes. I, I can't address that part of it. Do I think that some part of it is placebo? I think that's true no matter which mood disorder we're talking about or even what can, whatever psychiatric condition we're talking about. I don't, I don't know exactly why the antidepressants would work so quickly, but compared to controls that there is evidence beyond placebo effect that these meds do somehow improve their mood more quickly than if you had MDD classic versus this variant. But the actual mechanisms of that, I, I wouldn't be able to explain. Okay, DMDD. 
This is quite a controversial new diagnosis to DSM-5. This has never been researched. It was not in the appendix. It just appeared. And the nature of this, just the gist of it, is it's a child, and it is diagnosed only in children. You have to be a certain age, but we want you, we're not going to diagnose this as you know, a 20-year-old. But this is someone who is, throws tantrums, pretty serious ones, and even when they're not throwing tantrums, they're irritable and surly and angry as their baseline mood. How is this depression? How is this a depressive disorder? And that's a big question that a lot of professionals and clinicians have, is how did this disorder wind up in a mood disorder, depressive disorders chapter of DSM? One explanation for putting it here is that, well, when these children who are so irritable and angry and throw tantrums, when they become an adult, they often are depressed. Not a great reason for putting this in a depressive disorders chapter is that in the future maybe you're depressed. It's unprecedented to actually formulate a diagnosis based on what might happen in the future. The major impetus for doing this was that kids that are irritable like this and so angry were getting misdiagnosed as a bipolar patient because bipolar patients can be very, very irritable and clinicians wanted to stop this misdiagnosis of irritable kids as bipolar patients, so they thought, let's come up with another diagnosis to capture them. I'm not sure this is the better way of capturing them. I think a lot of professionals think that this is a behavioral problem, that often kids that are this severe would have a combination of what's called oppositional defiant disorder, which is a behavioral disorder, probably mixed with some attention deficit problems. So to make up a new disorder and say this is a, a depressive disorder might not be the, the most appropriate. So we don't have enough data on this, this disorder because it's brand new. The concern is that if you conceptualize it as depression, that you're treating it as a depressive disorder versus treating it as a behavioral disorder or possibly even an attentional problem, and you would be treating it in a very, very different way. So the validity of this is, is highly questioned. So we'll figure out where, what to do with this in the future. But right now, just understand the gist of it and have a case from DSM-5 casebook that got written up saying, here's a 12-year-old, and he's referred for evaluation because basically he's getting so many conflicts and he's, fri and he's frightening his family and he's frightening his classmates. So he's generally moody and irritable, basically has episodes of being, quote, a raging monster, and it's impossible to set limits with him. He recently smashed a closet door to gain access to a video game that had been withheld because they wanted to encourage him to do his homework. So there you go, hide your toy and destroy the closet and get it back, I guess. He's described as having a hair-triggered temper, and he recently was suspended for punching another boy in the face when he lost a chess match. He's generally surly, complaining always that life is so unfair, and he'll argue about homework, argue about video games, argue about his bedtime, and basically this usually winds him up into screaming and throwing nearby objects. So this is life day in and day out, day in and day out, frequent tantrums, and even when you're not tantruming, you're... That's DMDD. All right, so hopefully the, the, the biggest 
challenge here is recognizing when you're in a depressive episode, when you have MDD. PDD is just the more long-lasting version of low mood, and PMS, or sorry, PMDD and DMDD are other possibilities. Before moving on to bipolar problems, How confident are we whether this question is, are they in a major depressive episode? That's the first question I would ask. Do they have five of nine symptoms? Yes. Okay, so now we know they are in a depressive episode, which means their diagnosis is either MDD or PDD. And you look at their time frame. It has not been that long, but it's been long enough. Oh, sorry. We should look at the time frame to make sure that they do uh, have the requisite time, which is at least two weeks, they do, so they are at least in a depressive episode. How long? Only four weeks in this case, so it is MDD without any sort of extension, not PDD. Very good. So you do have the requisite number of symptoms, type of symptoms, and duration of symptoms. Bipolar disorders, we're talking about three different possible diagnoses. All share in common the fact that there's some abnormal elevation in mood. So they very well may have low moods as well, but the key is that they have abnormally high or irritable moods. So bipolar 1 disorder, again, we're back to DSM definitions that aren't that helpful. We said MDD is having an MDE. Bipolar 1 is having a manic episode. If you have a manic episode, you're bipolar 1. What defines a, a manic episode is another story. Manic episode says that you have this euphoric mood, this elevated, expansive mood, or irritable. It could be either, and it could switch back and forth, but you have to have this change in mood to the opposite end of the spectrum, in addition to being energized. Those are required baseline symptoms. In addition to having this expansive, changed mood, you have to, uh, an energy increase, you have to have some additional symptoms. One common one is that you become very grandiose. You become narcissistic. You become egocentric. You are boastful. You become very um, self-confident. So some of this increased self-esteem and confidence can be actually of delusional proportion, where all of a sudden you are believing without a doubt that you've got some great talent like singing or dancing or playing basketball or writing a book or, or so forth. So it could be of delusional proportion. Another possible symptom is that they, it's not just that they don't sleep. There's a lot of reasons why people don't sleep, but they don't feel the need to sleep. They are so wound up that they are 
energized and they can go with very little to no sleep and they're still feeling great. They don't want to sleep. They don't feel the need to sleep. Their speech is often rapid, but what's the key here is pressured. Someone can talk fast, but pause and take a break and have someone else make a comment. And then you can talk fast and then someone else. But in pressured speed, it just keeps going and going and going and going and no one else gets to talk and you have to interrupt them so that you can interject. So the pressured speech is often fast, but it doesn't have to be fast, but it just keeps coming and coming and coming and coming like a train without pause. Flight of ideas, being off on a tangent, but being off on a tangent from the tangent. So you, you start talking about one thing and then all of a sudden you're talking about another thing and that's making you think of another thing and you're really, really far off topic. Distractibility, you'll be talking away and then, oh, oh what was that noise? Oh, oh, did you, oh, my hair. You know, you're just off topic, a sensation, a sound, something gets your attention and you get off track. They do tend to all of a sudden now multitask and usually ineffectively because you're starting something here, oh, here's my idea, oh, here's my invention here, and oh, here's my, and nothing is going anywhere, but you've got lots of stokes in the fire, but nothing's really developing. And they do tend to be motorically very animated, they're moving around, they pace, they don't usually sit calmly in their chair or stand still. They are hedonists. If we describe depression, people with depression as having anhedonia without pleasure, these are people that will indulge in what feels pleasurable. So they, they're impulsive, they, they tend to, their libido tends to be way up and they initiate sexual activity more than usual, whether it's with their partner or not with their partner. They spend more, they drink more, they, they just, Oh, who wants to go to work today? Yeah, let's go on this road trip. And Hey, I want to buy a car. Do you want a car? I'll buy you a car. I mean, they just, whatever feels good, sounds good, they tend to engage in. So it's risky, hedonistic type of behaviors. And here's just an example of a, someone who's manic. This is a 32-year-old man. He's an insurance appraiser. And one morning, he just tells his wife that he's bursting with energy and ideas and that his job's unfulfilling and he's going to quit. And he slept so little last night because he was spending all the night writing and writing and writing furiously. And then he decides, uh, he goes shopping, he comes back with a whole car full of aquariums because he has this brilliant idea that he's going to basically figure out how that fish are going to live forever with his new invention. So fish will not die anymore and we will be millionaires. And he started unloading all the fish tanks and he went off to the neighborhood to go tell all the neighbors to buy, buy his, his stuff. <laughs> so he's seen by, seen by a therapist. And the therapist says, well, you seem pretty happy today. And happy, happy? You certainly are a master of understatement, you rogue. And he's like jumping out of his seat. And he says, why? I'm ecstatic. I'm leaving for the West Coast today on my daughter's bicycle. Only 3,100 3, miles. That's nothing, you know. I could probably walk, but I want to get there by next week. And all along the way I plan to contact a lot of people about investing in my fish equipment. And I'll get to know more people that way. You know, Doc, no, in the biblical sense. Oh, God, how good it feels. Just, whoa. You can just be exuding energy and enthusiasm, and that is the nature of a manic episode. Dig fast is your mnemonic. If Siggy Caps is your 
mnemonic for a depressive episode, dig fast is a way to remember the highlights of a manic episode. How long do you have to be in this elevated state? DSM gives a little bit of leeway. They say, well, generally, we like to, it would be about a week. But if your symptoms warrant you actually having to go to the hospital, then it doesn't matter. We're not going to wait a week to say you're manic if, if your symptoms are severe enough where you need to be, get some help right away. The key with a manic episode is that the behaviors are causing significant disruption. And, the, and that's true for most disorders. But importantly, because we're going to compare this to hypomania. And hypomania has the exact same symptom list as we just went through. It's just that they aren't getting markedly impaired. They're, they're experiencing this change, but it's not really translating into anything terribly compromising. Now, do keep in mind that people who experience manic episodes often do, at other times, experience depressive episodes. Do they have to? I mean, the term is bipolar. Isn't that telling you're supposed to have both poles of the mood spectrum? The name kind of insinuates that you should have to have a depressive episode, but the diagnosis doesn't require it. You could just be manic and only have mania, euthymia. Mania, euthymia, it's still bipolar one. In reality, the vast majority of people are going to have the depressive episodes at some point too. Okay. So this is illustrating the... the two distinct types of phases where you can have just manic episodes with uh, interceding euthymia. That's bipolar one. And it's still bipolar one whether uh, if you have the depressive episodes as well. So same, same diagnosis. You can, there's a lot of specifiers you can use to elaborate on the nature of their bipolar disorder. Rapid cycling is getting at the fact that you are shifting from mood episode to mood episode more quickly than most. And if I go back to here, let's say that this period of time here is one year. Would this person that has only manic episodes and euthymia, is this person a rapid cycler if this is a one-year period? No, because they only have three episodes in a year. What about in this right-hand panel? Would this person be a rapid cycler? It would be a rapid cycler because it's just saying having at least four mood episodes of any type. So that is a rapid cycler. And rapid cycler is thought to be a more sort of severe form of the disorder. We can, just as we, can, we said with MDD, we can have with psychotic features. So we can have someone who's manic with psychosis. We can have someone who's depressed with psychosis. And you can still describe them as having mood congruent or mood incongruent psychotic features. So in this case, if this poor person's mood state is more euphoric, grandiose, and they believe that they've got some special ability, what is that? If this is a delusion, we could say this is bipolar one with what kind of psychotic features? Mood congruent. In contrast, let's say that you're expansive mood, euphoric, and, the, and you're hearing voices that are criticizing you and putting you down. Okay? In that case, you've got hallucinations, you've got psychosis. So you would say you've got this bipolar one with psychotic features, and in this case, incongruent. So it's 
the congruence or incongruence is always in relation to their mood state. Now, oftentimes what you see is that, and I mentioned this yesterday, that you'll have someone that's had depressive episodes, and only depressive episodes. So likely they're, they have the label MDD. But over time, someone will develop that manic episode. The, the psychiatrist will get the call saying, well, your patient's now in the hospital. They were running around naked in the park at 3 in the morning. And psychiatrists will say, my patient's a depressed patient. My patient doesn't move. My patient doesn't do that. And yes, they do, because the patient wasn't a depressed person. After all, it was a bipolar patient. So you can see this change from someone who is misdiagnosed as MDD, unknowingly, and then they actually were bipolar. How long do you stay in a manic phase? And usually it is several months. And you can imagine several months of little sleep, spending too much, doing indiscriminate activities, whether it's drugs, sex, not making sense, and you can, there's a lot of consequences and, and destruction of relationships that can happen in this time. We do want to rule out, one, meds or meds, drugs, drug abuse should come to mind. People that are manic look very much like they're high on cocaine or high on methamphetamine. So you want to rule out any sort of drug-induced condition. And any other neurological change that might happen, especially the older you are, it's less likely that mania is going to strike past 40 for the first time. It can. But when you have a later onset like that, you start working, working them up for something other than bipolar, some, a brain tumor, something that might be contributing to this um, presentation. Now, what do we know about bipolar 1 disorder? We do know that this is one of our more heritable disorders. So MDD, yeah, increased risk if you've got relatives. Bipolar 1, much, much more increased risk. It's one, probably our most strongly heritable psychiatric disorder. Still not perfect, but if you have bipolar 1 in your family, you do have to worry much more about your risk or offspring's risk of developing this disorder. And we do think this is, at least in simple form, that it involves the monoamines, but in the opposite direction as depression. So in this case, when you think about having too much monoamine, so norepi, dopamine, serotonin, and particularly dopamine comes to mind as being elevated in this disorder. Does that make sense that dopamine might be elevated? Part of your reward pathway. If, are drugs like cocaine and amphetamine boost dopamine very powerfully, make you look like this. So there's norepiserotonin, dopamine issues in this mood state. The way we treat bipolar 1 disorder, lithium is, if you hear lithium, that's usually very indicative of a bipolar disorder. It's been around, it was the first drug we were using to treat people with this problem, but we've, di we've discovered that other kinds of drugs also help to mood stabilize, that is bring down the manic episodes. And it's not all of our anti-seizure drugs, it's not all of our anti-psychotic drugs, but some, still not clearly known why, help to bring down the high states. And these drugs work in different ways, so it's not clear the mechanism of action is very hypothetical right now, and we know antipsychotics block dopamine. 
We know anticonvulsants usually increase GABA. I mean, they all have slightly different mechanisms of action, but for some reason they're able to bring down mood states, bring down the high mood states, I should say. Now, a big problem with treating people who are bipolar is they do feel euphoric. They feel high, they feel great, and now you're taking away their buzz. And they don't like that. They feel numb. They feel zombie-like. They don't want the med. They like their highs oftentimes. They don't like their lows when they have lows. But it's hard to convince them to function sort of at euthymic level when the manic episode does feel, at the time, quite rewarding. Now, if you are the type of person who has ups and downs, and let's say that, you, that you're on lithium for your ups, but the lithium's really not helping your down periods when you're part of bipolar disorder. What can you do? If lithium, yeah, it might help bring down the highs, but it's not really bringing up your lows. When you want to treat the depression of bipolar, you can think about, and you think, well, if they're depressed, why not give them antidepressants? Why not give them fluoxetine? Why not give them an SSRI? And the concern is, is that someone who is bipolar, if you are treating their depression with a classic antidepressant, that all you're doing is increasing their monoamines and almost flipping them, switching them to an elevated state. So it, the, the antidepressants are not approved for depression when it's part of bipolar. Now, is it, are they used? Yep, they're used. But if you use them in isolation, you've got the risk of flipping them to an elevated mood state. So they often would make sure that they're also on a mood stabilizer to help prevent, we'll, we'll give you, try to boost your, boost your mood state from depression to euthymia, but we gotta make sure you don't switch to the opposite mood state. There are some drugs that are specifically approved for depression, but not MDD. Depression as it occurs in bipolar, and they fall in the antipsychotic class. They're not the same ones that we used for the manic phase. So it's very hit and miss which antipsychotic is going to help with what. Is this going to help bring your mood down? Is this going to help bring your mood up? But the key here is when you treat bipolar 1 disorder, you're looking at medication management. Depressions and anxiety, some of our other disorders, there's a lot more flexibility of do you want meds, do you want not meds. Usually bipolar 1 meds are going to be pretty essential. Could you use ECT? You, yes, absolutely. This is, in fact, a prime use of ECT, whether it's the manic phase or the depressed phase, ECT is typically quite useful, especially for treatment refractory ones. What about cognitive behavioral therapy? Think about someone who has that belief that they're gonna save the fish and no fish will ever die, and they're not sleeping in there. Are you going to talk them down? Are you I think the talk therapy while they're manic is going to be quite challenging. Could it be useful when they're not in a, an acute episode? I think very importantly it would be a good thing to add on to your treatment regimen. But to get them out of their euphoria and flight of ideas and pressured speech, I think the psychotherapy techniques would be less useful during that time. How does bipolar 2 compare to bipolar 1? Bipolar 2 disorder, you must have depressive episodes. That's not optional in bipolar 2. But you also must have elevated mood at some point. 
And the elevation in mood can't be all the way to the manic phase because if it went all the way to the manic phase, you'd be bipolar one. So you elevate, but you don't elevate so much. So hypomania is the key here. And as I mentioned, hypomania and mania def definition, they're identical. Same checklist, same exact symptoms. It's just that when they say they're not sleeping and they have pressured speech and they have flight of ideas, it's not as severe. It's not as impairing. They're doing multiple tasks, but guess what? They're exceeding deadlines. Employers love them when they're hypomanic. Woo, got everything done. You're in at three. You're, you worked all day and night, and you're ahead of the game. You're getting promoted. So in, the, in this hypomanic state, you're energized, lots of ideas and creative, and, and typically it's not impairing. And by definition, it's not. But it is still a change in your normal mood state. So it's unequivocal that, whoa, something's changed in the last few days because you're different. So it's not just typical fluctuations in our mood from day to day. It's much more notable than that. So let me see if I can show you a difference between the two. There's something very important that needs to be said here. Right. I only like to speak once or twice or thrice or nice because nice things are always coming into my mind. Nice things like the nurse and the ward, but we'll keep that a secret from my wife, eh? My wife's a good woman and looks after me very well, which is just as well because a politician needs to have a good woman behind him. I've joined the Conservative Party and I expect to be the MP for my part of Sheffield. Right. You see, I've been held what back in my career, but I won't be held back for long. I think I could well become the next Prime Minister because I've got a really good personality. At work, I've been putting suggestions forward, but what they're not being taken at work? up. Oh, I was accused of touching up the secretary, but she misunderstood. You see, I believe that all love is free, and if I had my freedom, I could love everyone. I have the time because I only need three hours sleep a night, and night is right and rights are mine. It's a minefield out there because society never really Why cares. Are you in I don't really know. I think it's because of my wife getting jealous, but there's no reason to be because I've got enough love to go around the ladies. I feel great because the world is a wonderful place and people are great. You know, if great people had been more loving, then wars would never have happened. It's all a matter of degree, and a degree is something worth having. At university, students should be taught about friendship because friendship is the most important thing that. Okay, what symptoms of mania does he show there? <laughs> Flight of ideas, pressured speech. Whoa. He's totally disinhibited. And if you could actually follow, if you, I played, actually, I transcribed him. I had to play him on 0.5 speed to even like, figure out what he was saying. But he thinks he's going to be prime minister because he's so, you know, likable. And he um, was accused of sort of being sexual advances, uh, advances, advances on some of his coworkers. So he's like, again, hedonistic, hedonistic, and egocentric, increased self-confidence, flight of ideas, euphoria. So he is manic, and he's in a hospital setting, and he's barely conversation you can't even talk to him he, he's difficult so difficult to understand so the point where conversations aren't meaningful you're likely considering that this is more manic now let me show you someone who is more uh, hypomanic
Your husband tells me that you've not been the usual self recently. Oh, he's just amusing me. I'm feeling absolutely wonderful at the moment. Fantastic. In fact, I've entered into a new venture. I've actually opened a hairdressing salon in my own home. Mm. Have you been trained for that? You don't need training when you've, got, uh, when you've got natural talent, you know. And natural talent, I have. I'll tell you, I certainly, certainly have natural talent. You could do with a proper haircut. Why don't you pop around? My husband actually goes out in the mornings, you know, when the cats are away and all that. Cats sleep all the time, don't they? I don't feel, find I need very much sleep at the moment. How much sleep do you actually need at the moment? Oh, three, three or four hours, three or four hours. That, that's all I need. Not very much at all. Do you sleep very much? I'm thinking of writing a book about... What was that noise? What was that? Did you hear it? I'm thinking Listen, of... Can, can I interrupt you? Yeah. Can I test out your mathematical yeah. ability? Yeah. All right. We'll ask you to start counting numbers. Okay, from, yep, okay. Right. I'm really good at numbers. I've always been really good at numbers. I right. can just let... I can, can I just, just interrupt you again, then? We're going to start from 20 and we're going to go down in threes. 20 okay. to 17 and right. keep going. Okay. Do you want... 20, 17, 14. When I was 14, I was top of C the class. Can we try that again? so good at school. Can I interrupt again? Can we yeah. try it? I want to see how far okay. you can go. You start okay. from 20, keep going in, until you've reached 2. Okay. Start from 20. 20... 17, 14, 11, 11 green bottles hanging on the wall. Was it 11 green bottles? Were they green or were they orange? I can't I remember, we'll do, maybe. We'll leave this conversation for the moment. Okay, do you see? Do you have a difference in feel between the two? The first one was like, oh my goodness, you couldn't understand a word and you couldn't even interject. And this one, you could follow what she was saying. She's still distractible, flight of ideas. Um, she's going to be a great hairdresser because she's got natural talent. I mean, she's got the symptoms, but it's less severe. And that's really... The, the key is the severity. So, uh, All right, so here is a case. You tell me whether this is mania or hypomania. Now, I don't tell you whether they're significantly compromised or not, but what tells you that this is actually pretty significant? The fact that they're in the hospital and that they're psychotic. Psychotic, if, if they're psychotic, there's no way that's hypomanic. Like a break from reality is already putting you at the manic threshold. It wouldn't be hypomanic if they are, if they are delusional. Okay. Right. So this is just showing you graphically difference between what bipolar 1 looks like versus bipolar 2. Because hypomania tends to not be that disruptive, that it's the, uh, the depressed episodes of bipolar 2 that are focus of treatments, and so we would likely use a mood stabilizer. If not, we would focus on the, the drugs like an, an antipsychotic that's more specific to helping depression that's part of a bipolar problem. And then finally, cyclothymia. You are fluctuating from hypomania to dysthymia. 
you never have mania, you never have depression. Because if you did, you'd have a different diagnosis. So this is someone who has ups and downs, they're just more attenuated than what you would see in, for example, bipolar one. Bipolar one, you'd have extremes. Cyclothymia, you have less extremes in mood and it's long lasting. So it's usually for at least a couple of years that you're kind of up and you're kind of down, you're kind of up, kind of down. And you really don't have much time in which you're euthymic. You can have a little bit of euthymia, but usually most of the two years you are in, a, in sort of a hypomanic or manic state. If you meet criteria for an MDE, gotta change your diagnosis. If you, change, if you meet criteria for a manic episode, you gotta change your diagnosis. So again, a more attenuated bipolar one looking graph. Now, if I am rolling along moderately in my mood states, say that I'm hypomanic, dysthymic, hypomanic, oh, I dip down into a depressive episode, hypomanic. Depressive episode, hypomanic. My cyclothymia just disappeared. What do I have? Bipolar 2. Right? And similarly, if I'm rolling along moderately, dysthymic, oop, manic, not hypomanic. Bipolar 1. So cyclothymic patient can definitely have a diagnosis change if things change to one extreme or the other. In any event, you've got unstable mood. You're still looking at the same kind of drugs. So for questions like this, I ask myself, do they have highs and lows? Yes, so get rid of MDD and PDD. Then the question is, how low do they go? Sounds like pretty low. Think a depressive episode. Okay, how high do they go? And you ask yourself, is there functional impairment? Nope, they're doing pretty well. So you're going from depressive episode to hypomania, which is? Bipolar 2. So the keys will be looking for how functionally impaired they are, especially in that up state. And I will have to tell you something that gives you that impression. And then finally, consider this. You have a depressed person. They've never had a history of ups, but you don't know if they're gonna have an up period in the future. What would predict that if you're seeing them in a depression, that they will in the future have an up phase? And some characteristics would be Bipolar one runs in your family. Hmm, I'm guessing you might be one that has a manic episode or hypomanic in the future. If you have short, if your depressive episodes are actually short, remember we said with MDD, it's like six months, 12 months long, your depressive episodes. People with bipolar depressions have shorter ones. They might be more plentiful, but they're shorter. That's more indicative or predictive. If you have depression that strikes in the teenagehood, the adolescence period, that's more suggestive. And if you have psychotic features, voices, delusions, as part of your depression, still could be MDD, but you're wondering whether you should be watching carefully to see if they flip in the future. So they're just some predictors that you might think, let's 
keep an eye on them, especially if you go give them an, a, a classic antidepressant, which you probably would, and then just monitor and see if there's any evidence that they're, they're, they're actually a bipolar patient. Okay, take 10, and we will start with the somatic symptom disorders.